Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quality Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Barfield, and I run Asheville Capital Management. I'm very excited to share today's episode with you. We will be profiling ACAST, and we will be joined by ACAST CEO, Ross Adams, after our customary high-level overview of the basics of the business. Before we get into the episode, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Stream by AlphaSense. Stream is an on-demand library of over 25,000 expert interview transcripts. Stream eliminates the time, money, and hassle that comes with conducting expert calls and interviews. My research strategy that I employ at Asheville Capital is focused on finding key qualitative data points that point to a business being competitively advantaged or not. Stream helps me execute this strategy in a practical way because they either already have dozens of calls on the company that interests me or they are able to quickly source numerous experts for me that are well-qualified to answer my questions. In the six months that I've been using Stream, it has often served as a substitute for most of the podcasts that I used to listen to. The reason is because there seem to be more nuggets of helpful information in each of these calls that help me to better understand the topic or company that I'm interested in at that time. If you have conducted expert calls in the past and are looking for ways to better allocate your time and energy, then Stream might be a helpful addition to your toolkit. As always, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing presented here is intended to be investment advice. I highly encourage you to do your own research and draw your own conclusions, or to allocate your capital to an investment advisor who you compensate to act as your fiduciary. Lastly, none of the opinions expressed by myself or by podcast guests is a reflection of those of Asheville Capital Management or of the company being profiled. Ross Adams' appearance in this episode does not reflect an endorsement for any of the research that is presented in the first half of the show. Without further delay, let's get started. ACAST is a company based in Sweden that was founded in 2014 and scaled by a group of former Spotify executives. Today, ACAST is the world's largest marketplace for podcast monetization. There are more than 92,000 shows on the ACAST network, and these shows have more than 92 million monthly listeners and more than 400 million downloads per month. Approximately 2,300 advertisers leveraged ACAST Marketplace in 2022, and they paid out $133 million for advertising. ACAST is the dominant force in countries like Sweden and the United Kingdom, where more than 50% of the top shows in the country rely on ACAST to distribute and monetize their content. This market share dominance in European countries is enabling ACAST to quickly and cost-effectively attract U.S.-based podcasts onto its network. The reason why is because popular U.S.-based podcasts have a significant proportion of international listeners, and ACAST is the best company in the world at effectively monetizing that audience. Since 2019, ACAST has grown its U.S. presence to include more than 39,000 shows with more than 22 million monthly listeners. ACAST's business model is effective because it removes significant friction in the podcast ad buying process, and it aligns its incentives most closely with both the supplier and the buyer. Historically, it has been an expensive and time-intensive endeavor to purchase advertising slots within podcasts, and there has never been the ability to target individuals. ACAST solved this problem because they invented a technology called dynamic ad insertion, which allows ACAST to insert advertisements into each individual episode instantaneously at the time that the listener presses play. If a podcaster is on the ACAST network and two of their listeners press play on the same episode at the same time, they might receive two totally different advertisements. These advertisements might even be host-read advertisements, meaning that the podcast creator has endorsed each product, yet the listener hears the advertisement that is most relevant to them. 
ACAST leveraged this dynamic ad insertion technology to build a marketplace. This marketplace makes it easy for advertisers to purchase targeted ad slots with the most relevant podcasts for their brands. ACAST helps podcast creators because the marketplace helps them to not only earn fair value for their content, but it also enables them to monetize their entire audience in ways that brands are more willing to pay for. This type of win-win incentive structure is beneficial to both parties. Advertisers and podcasters are incentivized to leverage the ACAST network. These incentives, in turn, fuel ACAST growth and have allowed them to grow into the world's largest independent marketplace for podcast monetization. In 2022, ACAST grew net revenues by 36% to $133 million, which was itself an accomplishment given the steep slowdown in advertising that occurred in 2022 and the fact that ACAST has grown at a 57% compound annual growth rate over the four prior years. ACAST keeps roughly one-third of total revenues and pays out two-thirds to its podcast creators. In the years that follow, there is expected to be a tidal wave of advertisement revenue flowing into podcasts from antiquated channels like AMFM Radio, which still produce approximately $38 billion of annual revenue in the U.S. alone, despite only 80% of the total listenership of podcasts. The entire podcast industry produced around $1.5 billion of revenue and remains one of the most woefully undermonetized forms of content that exists in the world today. ACAST occupies the most enviable position in this ecosystem and, in my estimation, is the most likely to consolidate market share going forward given the scale of their network conferring unique advantages to themselves that benefit both podcasters and advertisers alike. That's enough of a brief overview to get you up to speed on the basics of ACAST from my perspective. I'm now delighted to pass the microphone over to the CEO of ACAST, Ross Adams, who joins me today. Without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. Maybe before we get into ACAST, I want to hear a little bit more about your personal background and how you got involved in this space in the first place. Yeah, sure. So, uh, so yeah, my name is Ross Adams. I'm the CEO of ACAST. Um, I, uh, my background is actually kind of in pure audio. I mean, I had quite an entrepreneurial background as a, as a kid, you know, kind of a serial entrepreneur since the age of about nine years old. But um, my first kind of proper job was in, uh, in commercial radio in London. Um, I managed to get a, a kind of a graduate role at Capsule Radio, which is in uh, in London, they kind of run the biggest, um, well, they're the biggest commercial radio group basically in the UK, and they offer you know some great training on you know how you essentially uh, monetize audio uh, through commercials um, and promotions and sponsorship. Um, and I was there for almost, I think it was about almost about nine years in total. Uh, uh, then, luckily, one of my bosses um, at the time, and actually housemate, he. Uh, uh, was um, asked by an old university friend of his to uh, join a company called Spotify. So uh, I was interviewed for that. Uh, Daniel Eck interviewed me and told me about this uh, kind of proposition they wanted to launch. Uh, I think it had about 200 users when I uh, joined and jumped ship. And then there was three of us who had to launch the UK and the other uh, you know, 20-something were launching the, the Swedish kind of market and mainly based in tech. So uh, helped launch Spotify back in 2008. And then uh, I was there successfully for six, seven years. Uh, loved that journey. Obviously, you know, great success as a company. Um, and uh, and then I met some, some other inspiring Swedes. So I met a chap called Johan Bilgren, who's the founder of ACAST. And he explained the... Uh, 
problem with podcasting and what they're trying to achieve. And I kind of saw that pattern recognition, you know, uh, with the early days of Spotify. So three people in a room, you know, just uh, literally a jumper on a chair and there's nothing on the walls, just post-it notes. Uh, and I got excited again and thought, you know what, I can't, uh, I can't turn this down. So I've got to jump ship. So I jumped over first 10 in the company at the time. Um, and my role again was kind of similar to Spotify. So Spotify was, um, when I left, I was the European sales director, but my role was to launch the UK and help monetize the free version. Uh, and I learned how to monetize uh, audio through radio. Um, and then I helped them expand across the globe as well. And then did the same thing, obviously, for Acast, launched the UK and then helped them expand across the globe and, and became CEO uh, five and a bit years ago. So, yeah, my sixth year as CEO, nine years in the company, 23 years in audio. So that's my kind of uh, that's my background. What was the main problem that Johan described to you in podcasting? I mean, for me, you know, I've always been really inspired by, you know, um, very inspired by founders. You know, Daniel Ek for me was a, a very inspiring founder and how he explained the, the problem they were trying to solve. Um, you know, it was a disruptive technology and the same principle with Johan, you know, him explained the fact that podcasting is pretty much an analog medium that's been floating around for almost 20 years at the time um, and, uh, and how they were, you know, um, basically uh, applying digital metrics to it and properly measuring the space and then the commercial opportunities that follow that. And then kind of showing me some of the data on the audiences that are listening to podcasting and it just made my, my ears prick up and I thought this is uh, exactly my wheelhouse, something I've got to do. And, uh, and yeah, here I am nine years later. Maybe it would be helpful to go through ACAST evolution. So I know ACAST was founded with this dynamic ad insertion technology, but you also owned a listening application at one point, and I think you've done a few other initiatives. So help me understand how ACAST has evolved over time, and how are you sure that this current marketplace business model is the right one? I mean, our business model has evolved, but I think that's through, you know, the likes of R&D as well. But I think at the core of it was always that marketplace strategy, you know, with supply on one side and demand on the other. You know, let's uh, let's essentially build a, um, a CRM, a hosting platform, distribute content as wide as possible because that's how podcasting is distributed. And then how do we start to monetize off the back of that? And how can we grow their audience as quick as we can? Um, essentially, that was always the model. Now, we've, we've, we've tried things out like the app. The app has been a kind of confusing part of the business for some people because, you know, essentially, we're not a consumer brand, we're a B2B brand. So I think, um, you know, when uh, when we launched the app, it was great to start, to start seeing more data on podcasting. And that was kind of the uh, one of the reasons we launched the app, to get more data. Um, and also just to, to learn more about the space. Um, but we quickly realized that, you know what, we're not in the, the, the CAC game and the cost per acquisition game, you know, um, to try and stand out here. So the app wasn't really one of the things we did. But, you know, that helped then inspire Acast Plus because we thought if we could build an app, we could build a subscription tier on top of that. And that wasn't what the market wanted. I think if you look at the journeys of the likes of Luminary and other similar um, companies, uh, those strategies haven't yet properly you know, worked in podcasting. So we kind of thought about the app not being part of our business and closing that down and focusing more uh, uh, on um, being that marketplace. Um, and you, you know, we, we knew that the, the important part of the the app was the data layer, and we can we can get that data from many other places on, on a lot bigger scale. So actually, it was a, a lot better option to do that and close it down. 
maybe before we get into the marketplace type of business model, can you just help me understand in what ways is podcasting as a form of content unique from other types of content? I think about the the media ecosystem and you compare, you know, the the format. It's um you know, it can be short form, but inherently it's more like twenty minutes plus. That seems to be, you know, it's longer form content than than a lot of kind of or social media out there. And I, and I actually consider podcasting to be an influencer medium. Um, if you think about the how the audience consumes podcasting, it's a lot different in, in how it consumes any other audio um, uh, medium. So if you think about music and radio, it's very background there to keep you company, uh, but you're focusing on doing something else at the same time. Um, so therefore, cut through of brands is quite hard and difficult. And that's why you have, for, for example, you know, 12 minutes of ads in radio per hour in, the, in, in Europe and then up to 25 minutes of ads per hour in the U.S., to stand out for brands is really, really hard. Uh, whereas if you th- think about podcasting, you are actively seeking out the content that you want to uh, play. Um, and, you know, you're completely lean forward. You're completely tuned in. And when you're listening to spoken word content, you can't really focus on doing something else. Yes, you can go running and you can exercise, which is, you know, a, a big part of how people listen to podcasts. But, you know, you're f- entirely engaged in this medium and therefore you know brands uh, cut through greater than pretty much any other medium so from a commercial angle for for brands it's a really interesting proposition you don't have to be so loud and brash with your ads you can be much more direct it's a um it's a, a you know if you look at radio radio is a one-to-many medium and podcasting is a one-to-one medium um, and so that's why it works so incredibly well for the likes of direct response, uh, as well as, you know, branding. It's almost like, so correct me if I'm wrong, this is a little bit off script. It's not really a question I have prepared, but it's something I've thought about and I'd love to bounce off of you is when I watch an NFL game and I see commercials for state farm and Patrick Mahomes on the advertisement, I think the bet that state farm is making is that enough people know who Patrick Mahomes is, especially if they're watching an NFL game. And they like him enough that if I need to go buy insurance, that State Farm is going to be top of mind, right? And with podcasting, it's more like you know who the celebrity is that you're listening to. It's like a little micro celebrity in terms of I'm listening to this person for this particular type of content. And therefore, the the bet is much higher probability that you know who the person is that you're listening to, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's this, the association, right? It's the same as kind of other influencer mediums. You know, brands really want to um, be, you know, have their brand values represented by an influencer who knows how to translate it to their audience, right? And with podcasting, it works in exactly the same way. It's that association uh, and being front of mind. And that's where you have those two different formats within podcasting. You have the influencer read, the host read, which we call sponsorship. Um, and that works brilliantly for direct response and, and also front of mind. But then you have the brand adverts as well, which you can run across thousands and thousands of podcasts. But that is a, a good brand awareness um, opportunity as well. So you kind of need both in your media mix um, when it comes to advertising and, and, um, if you look at like a, you know, um, American football game, you know, I think one thing I've noticed since moving over here in the States is that America commercializes sport incredibly well. You know, there's every opportunity is, you know, you could sponsor pretty much. Um, so, but it is still hard to stand out because there are so many brands there, which is why, you know, medium like this is actually pretty underserved and, uh, but it's very easy to stand out if you're buying it on scale. Mm. 
Yeah. Now, I, I want to help frame the frame this problem. So in, in preparation for this call, I was looking at some statistics and I found the most recently published Edison research report. I'm sure you're familiar with this. Yep. Uh, called the Infinite Dial. And in 2021, it estimated that approximately 177 million Americans listened to podcasts. And in that same report, it estimated that 180 million Americans logged into Facebook in the same time period. So you could say there was roughly the same number of people listen to podcasts as logged into Facebook. But when you look at the revenues that Facebook generate off of its US-based user base, it was 50 plus billion dollars. Yep. And the podcast industry in the United States just barely passed $1 billion in the United States. Yep. So can you just help me understand why are podcasts so under monetized relative to you know, social media or other forms of content? I mean, I think there's a few factors. I think, you know, like if you look at the um, the way that it's distributed, it's, uh, it's distributed obviously via RSS and RSS means that you can distribute, you know, audio to any platform out there, but it's an audio format. So actually, if you think about the format or the ad formats that you can run, you know, if you've got Facebook, they can run multiple different formats from video uh, to display, uh, whereas we're kind of like kind of almost governed to kind of one format so it's kind of that, that that's kind of one issue and, and and audio in general um you know isn't uh well especially kind of a, a europe wide it's not as big as other digital formats right but you know it is it, people are um changing their minds around that and, and audio is kind of gaining huge traction and i think if you look at the trends this year digital audio is one of the kind of key focuses for marketeers now, if you look at the um, audiences listening, you look at the data you get from podcasting, it's, you know, you get a lot less data per se than Facebook do. Now, it's getting tougher and tougher to use that data. You know, you think about the death of the cookie coming up um, and you think about, you know, how uh, you can use that data, especially in, in Europe, it becomes in, incredibly hard to use. So actually, you need to rely on other forms of data. And the trend seems to be moving towards that context. And the beauty is podcasting, you know, you, you understand the full context of a podcast. So we transcribe all of our shows, we run them through natural language processing, and we start to understand not only what conversations are happening, but what key words are being mentioned? Are they being talked about in a positive manner? And then how do we commercialize off the back of that and make sure we target the right advert to the right conversations? And so I think that podcasting is a huge uh, way to go, an opportunity. But I think the um, data layer is the bit that needs to evolve and that is starting to evolve. Uh, and that's where I believe you're going to start to see growth. Then, of course, you've got everything from brand suitability and, you know, the con contextual targeting that we offer and the keyword search we offer, we can start to understand what content is suitable for your brand based on the metrics you give us. Um, uh, and brand safety is incredibly important too. So you've still got this, you know, phase now where um, for certain brands, they're still trying out podcasting and they're still trying out audio. Uh, once they do, they get hooked on it and they repeat spend. So, you know, I think it's an interesting statistic be between Facebook and us uh, and looking at 57 billion to a billion, it kind of highlights the opportunity that we've got in podcasting. So it's, um, it should be a pretty rosy road ahead of us. <laughs> Can you just help me? We, we've flirted with this. Can you just help me understand what ACAST's core value proposition is in terms of its marketplace? Yes. Yeah, so for us, we host, we distribute, we monetize content. So, you know, we are one of the uh, well, the largest uh, independent podcast platform out there. We have 92,000 podcasts that host with us. 
and we can monetize any listen on any platform. Um, so essentially, that is our value prop. We are a marketplace, um, uh, and um, we're here to service podcasters and creators and monetize their content uh, and try and help help them create a career out of it. I spoke with an advertiser not too long ago, and one of the problems she told me with podcast investing, you know, up until the last few years, was that it was very hard for them to advertise with with podcasts in mass, right? Like you'd have to go ink contracts with every single one of these. And is that what this marketplace kind of helps to provide? It helps to remove some of that friction and being able to advertise across numerous podcasts. Exactly. And I think if you look at podcasting, it's so hard to build a hit. You know, you look at what's been happening out there in the news, you can see that, you know, it's, you know, a lot of these big, big firms have been investing heavily in podcast production, and that's not necessarily, you know, worked every time. So actually, you know, buying by show is the way that they do it here in America. If you look at Europe, when we first launched you know, we invented dynamic ad insertion that allows you to not only dynamically insert your host read that's pre-recorded, but it sounds part of the show. You can actually insert that 30-second ad and you can do that on scale. So, you know, that technology instantly allowed you to start to get reach and scale. And the, the, the problem that brands still have and agencies per se is that, you know, they have a lot of these, um, uh, the market like Spotify, you have Amazon, you have Sirius, you have iHeart. You know, how do you start to buy all of those audiences on scale? And how do I view that in one place? And this is the beauty of what we bought in Podchaser. You know, Podchaser is kind of the data layer within podcasting. Uh, it gets a lot of the consumption data from multiple different apps. So it starts to understand how listeners are consuming content. It then plugs into a lot of the hosting platforms and understands what, what content is being uploaded. And they have data on all of the 5 million plus podcasts that are out there. Um, and it's then, uh, you know, Podchaser Pro, which is their kind of SaaS subscription proposition. Brands are starting to subscribe to that as well as agencies to start to visualize where their audiences are and, and what podcasts they should be buying. So Podchase is kind of like a, a view into the entire marketplace rather than having to go to each individual ven- vendor and, and start to understand a plan of, of what audiences. So if you look at um, a statistic from last year, and you can get this through the likes of you know Podchaser data as well as the likes of Magellan data, but um, uh, 44% of the spend in podcasting in the U.S., was uh, spent in the top 500 podcasts. So people are still buying by show. Uh, But those top 500 podcasts only reach 12% of the addressable audience in podcasting. So there's 88% of the audience that is untapped for brands. So there's such an opportunity here for brands, but they need to understand how to buy reach and scale. So for us, having the largest independent marketplace or the largest marketplace in general allows brands to buy their correct audience at scale you know podcasting is a you know sea of niches as it's been called recently but when you add those niches up you can get scale um so being able to buy niche audiences at scale is what podcast offers and that's why we represent ninety-two thousand shows and are growing by thousands every single month what about return on ad spend for these advertisers how does the return on ad spend for podcasts compare with some of these other forms of content 
I mean, if you look at the um, opportunity here, you look at um, the spend that is, and, it, and I think you should isolate the US market because the US market more than any market has been focused predominantly on direct response. So DR advertisers, they are the largest spender of that kind of billion dollars, right? They hold up the, the, the most of the market there. Um, kind of brand money hasn't yet flowed fully into the space. It's been that DR money that's been holding the market up. And, you know, if you look at what brands are doing, the likes of BetterHelp, the likes of Squarespace, MailChimp, etc., they are sponsoring these shows week in, week out and tying them up for a, for an entire year because it shifts audience. You know, whilst it's, it's me- measured in quite a rudimental way or, or they measure in a, in a rudimental way through offer codes, it works. And therefore, they can prove that it is a great medium for direct response. And, you know, we hear this time and time again from many, many brands like that, that, you know, podcasting as a medium works a lot more efficiently than any of the other platforms they try. And that includes the likes of Facebook and Instagram, TikTok. It is, you know, you have the entire attention of that audience. And if it's advertised in the right way, and, and this is where the influencer host red spot is, is, a, is a beautiful um, kind of format, they know how to translate your brand message to their audience. So let them do that. And it's funny because, uh, you know, a lot of, Brands uh, are quite scared of letting go of their brand values. They want to have a, a voice that they use for TV and the same voice they use on radio ads and the same voice they use across. But podcasting is a different medium. Of course, you can do that. But actually, if you want to, you know, really dig into that kind of host read, uh, you need to uh, explain your value prop and allow them to translate to their audience. And, that, and that's the beauty of podcasting. Have you have you heard anything in terms of like rate of return and like how it compares with some of these other ones? I mean, we you know like getting data back from um, brands it's their kind of secret source and how how they uh, use podcasting. But you know we constantly hear that it is their top performing um, medium for direct response. So you know and most cost efficient as well. So you know we do have some data on that. Um, but I think, you know, that the key data is, you know, brands would not repeat spend if it didn't work. And, you know, we see brands time and time again, continually respend. It's just getting them to try it for the first time, which is the hurdle. Once they're in, you know, majority eight times out of 10, nine times out of 10, they return and they'll spend again. Now I realize I might be opening a can of worms by asking this next question, but as, as I've researched this podcast space, I, I see a lot of discussion around these two different types of monetization models. There is the open podcast ecosystem and there is the closed podcast ecosystem. And, and you've blogged about this yourself in the past. Can, yeah. can you just help us to understand what these two are and in what ways they're different? So if you look at open podcasting, that's kind of uh, how we exist. You know, we're not a... Uh, uh, or anymore. We're not an app. We're not an, an, an end kind of consumer. We distribute the content to all of the available podcast apps or wherever you want to listen to it, be that via the web as well. Podcasting has grown up on being an open ecosystem. So distributing by RSS, all of the apps out there, take the RSS link. And as soon as you push play, it actually fetches it from us as the host. We then understand data about you. And then we kind of inject the right ads and send it back. And we're the ones monetizing that audience. The kind of listening platforms, the podcatchers, um, they get free content um, in exchange. We are monetizing that content and sharing the revenue directly with the creator. Um, so that's kind of how um, podcasting the open ecosystem 
works, uh, the availability of content on every platform, regardless of where you want to listen. Now, on a closed platform, uh, this is kind of the route that the likes of Spotify and to a certain degree, Audible and Amazon have taken. Uh, Spotify uh, have, have you know launched a lot of um, exclusive shows um, that are only available on the Spotify platform. And therefore, that's the closed ecosystem. That's their walled garden. They believe that is the strategy that is, you know, what will work for them. Um, so the likes of Joe Rogan, um, uh, Call Your Daddy Armchair Expert, they're only available on the Spotify platform. But then you're switching off a huge opportunity for uh, the mass audience to listen to that content. And it doesn't normally work. You know, what we've seen is that um, those shows that have come outside of the exclusive two-year, three-year window, they've lost 80% of their audience on the other side. And when they come back into the open ecosystem, it takes a long time to build that audience back up again. So I don't believe that the, the closed ecosystem works. And how Amazon and um, Audible, um, you know, same company, but have approached it from a two different app perspective is their approach has been less window content for a week. So it's available a week or two weeks early on our platform. And then we're going to, you know, release it out into the open ecosystem. And I'm sure that works for the super fans. The super fans want to listen to that content as soon as it's out there. But people will happily wait a week or the majority of the audience will happily wait a week or two weeks to listen to it and then listen to it on the app of their choice. So I think there's kind of almost three strategies that, that run. There's the completely open, there's the semi-open, and then there's the fully kind of walled garden approach. There's an interesting dynamic that you actually taught me about in some of our previous calls around commercialization rights. So the reason why Spotify is having to pay out these multi-million dollar deals in order to acquire the exclusive rights for some of these podcasts is because it's effectively a buyout contract. So they are buying out the commercialization rights to those podcasts. And so they get to recoup the advertisement revenue. Whereas the open podcast ecosystem and effectively what Acast is doing is you are helping to monetize that podcast and you are splitting the revenues with the podcasters themselves. And so they give you the commercialization rights and you help them to monetize, but you're not buying them out like what Spotify or to a lesser extent Amazon is doing, right? So essentially, look, you know, we will provide you with the distribution tools, but if you want to join our marketplace, we have the full commercialization rights over that content. That's kind of how we've operated um, in general at ACAST. Um, and therefore, you know, we will distribute it to as, as far and wide a place as possible. Um, but the listening apps on their side, what you know, we're essentially monetizing the audience that is on their app. They're getting free content. So rather than music content where they have to pay per stream and have to share that revenue with the, the labels, for us, we're giving them free content. So they're servicing their own listeners with free content, which is making their platform sticky. What we do is we're monetizing that, but they don't get any revenue for that. We share the revenue directly with the creator. Um, and, you know, if you look at podcast listening as a whole, it's it's so fragmented and distributed across so many different uh, podcast apps. I think there's 250 plus apps out there. So, you know, if you want to monetize in the best way, you come to a platform like Acast. Let's, let's think a little bit more about the scale advantages or potential for, for scale advantages that Acast has. So as you've mentioned, you get 
92,000 shows. I think maybe at risk of asking an elementary question, can you just help me understand what is the significance of having this largest marketplace and what does that scale enable? It's really important reaching scalers, you know, especially for for brands and brand awareness. And I talked earlier about the you know, niche audiences at scale and making that available to advertisers. And I think, you know, if you look at brand awareness in general, of course, it helps you achieve a range of business objectives and goals. Um, it can expand, obviously, your audience. It can increase the likes of your web traffic. It builds you brand affinity. And then, of course, you know, you'd hope it cultivates leads off the back of that. And that's kind of, you know, why no surprise it's the, you know, brand awareness lies at the top of kind of the, the marketing funnel. Um, but you need to have scale for that. Otherwise, you know, if you're selling one podcast that reaches 5,000 individuals, that's not big enough scale for, you know, someone to, you know, actively do a buy on, on, on that, um, podcast. Whereas, you know, if you're able to buy, you know, 400 million listens a month, which equates to roughly 93 million unique users, suddenly you can get a huge audience at scale. Um, and also then there's kind of, kind of commercial, you know, benefits on top of that, the ability to get away large, large campaigns, um, and becomes an incredible commercial opportunity. And then it's about attracting more and more audience and building a larger, wider base of podcasts to create those niches and create, create those scales for, for, uh, brand advertisers. Now, I think it's really interesting when I look at your international markets, the, where ACAST was originally founded, you've achieved pretty significant success in Sweden and in the UK. And now you're trying to pivot over to the United States to gain market share. Can you just help me understand wh- what was it that enabled ACAST to gain the market share internationally? And, and to what extent can you replicate that in the United States? Yeah, I think we, you know, what you've got to think about is that the US is a very different market. So, you know, I talked about earlier on about DR holding up the commercial side. You know, if you look at Europe, when we first launched back in 2014, nobody was commercializing podcasts at all. There's probably a, you know, one to three podcasts that the likes of the Squarespace were sponsoring, but no one was commercializing podcasts at all. And you had all of these publishers and, and independent podcasters who were struggling to make a, a living. Uh, reason being, no one had applied metrics, no one had applied the right digital technology, ad technology to it. So we came along, disrupted the industry and started the market there. Flip across to the United States, and you had um, a commercial market that already existed for you know a good fifteen years. Brands were um, you know approaching individual podcasts, and podcasters were just reading uh, the ads uh, live within the show, and we call that baked in. So the advert is baked in there forever. So they got good return on investment. You know, if, if a podcast popped um, uh, beyond you know the normal numbers, you'd continually be getting impressions beyond that, but it was stuck in the show forever. Um, so it's it's been a very hard job to unpick the the way buying is done. In the US, you know, um, now that brands are turning towards this, you know, what you start to find is that they want more accountability, more targeting uh, and less wastage. Now, if you look at uh, English spoken content, it travels incredibly well. You know, roughly 30% of uh, uh, UK content is listened to outside of the UK, majority, you know, being in the, in the United States. In the United States, you know, roughly 15 to 25% on average, um, travels across to other English-speaking markets, um, you know, UK being top of that list and, and Canada as well. So actually, when, you, when you're a brand, you know, you want to target, uh, you know, brands like ZipRecruiter. You know, when you hear that advert in Sweden or in the UK, 
You know, it has, makes no sense to you because those brands aren't available over there. So it's pure wastage for that brand. So this is where dynamic ad insertion it becomes really key because we can dynamically insert that advert just to the audience you want in the country, in the town, in the zip code that you want them uh, to, to listen to that ad in uh, with zero wastage. Um, and so the more and more brands that pile into the space, they, they expect this from every other digital medium. So why not expect it with podcasting? Uh, so when we jumped across to the US, you know, it was hard to get the brands to um, think that way. But brands haven't yet properly turned to podcast advertising in the US. You know, if you look at um, uh, the big spenders in podcasting in the States, there's still those direct response advertisers. But what you're starting to see now is the, the brands um, coming across like, you know, be that McDonald's, be that Coke, be that you know, Verizon, they're starting to advertise within podcasts because, you know, offerings like ours are offering them their targeted audience at scale. And so once that starts to become the trend, which we're believing it will be this year, audience buying at scale, suddenly the place is going to take off and, you know, Acast has got the kind of future uh, model fit for podcasting here. But it takes time, you know, like brands don't just pile in, especially when it comes to the likes of a, a recession um, looming COVID that happened. Um, but, you know, every time brands try it, like I said, you know, eight to nine times out of 10, they come back and, and they, they, it's kind of always on their, their media mix then. So it's a very different market, the US, uh, compared to Europe. Um, but US is really kind of um, replicating what Europe's doing now. From a technical development perspective, in what ways is Acast improving their offering? You've made a few announcements of things that you've launched in the last year. You acquired Podchaser. But what are you doing to make it better for advertisers, to make it less frictionless, to increase ROI kind of going forward? I think, you know, the stuff I talked about earlier on around contextual targeting, Podchaser with the data layer, you know, to, to, to attract more brands, you need to have, uh, you know, more data. Uh, and, th and that kind of reflects on the likes of brand suitability uh, as well. Um, and contextual targeting is the future of how I believe media in general is going to be bought. Offering that is really important in podcasting. But again, it takes a while for the uh, the brands to get used to it. Um, and, I, and I think for, for, for us, it's, uh, it's all about how we start to evolve that ad technology, how we start to evolve not only brand suitability, uh, but attribution um, and, you know, more data layers. So, you know, audiences can be bought in, uh, in even more niches on scale. And I think if you look at keyword search, that technology that we launched recently, um, you know, allows you to understand course the conversations but also the keywords that are being spoken about so your brand message can appear as close to that keyword as possible but keyword search is not only used for targeting to it's actually used for targeting away from content and again coming back to brand safety you, know, you might have brands that, that, that want to hit news content but want to avoid the word covid uh, or want to avoid you know other competitive brands or want to target towards a competitive brand that's mentioned. So it offers a, a huge amount of variety for brands, but you need to kind of evolve the ad tech and continue to uh, evolve that data layer for advertisers. Help me think in terms of, there are other hosting networks out there. There are um, some very large ones. Some of them mm -hmm. are independent. Some, some of them, some of the largest ones are not independent. They're owned by yep. Amazon or Spotify or something like that. Could some of these 
hosting providers acquire monetization tools that are similar to what ACAST is currently providing and potentially make it a fairly competitive market or, or a price competitive market that may force you to decrease your, your margin or, or whatever it might be. Uh, just help me understand that. You know, it's interesting. If you look at podcasting, it's, if you, you kind of um, look at a similar kind of, you know, audio medium, you look at the music industry and, you know, if you sign the, the top three uh, record labels, you've got, you know, 90%, 95% of the world's music. Podcasting is very different. So actually, you know, whilst you might be able to obtain, you know, dynamic ad insertion and some of the ad tech, you still need to have that reach and scale. So you, you need to tie all these platforms together. You know, ACAST, we focused on being that marketplace uh, from day one, having dynamic insertion available on every single podcast that we host. So it's, it's a very hard game to try and tie all these platforms together and catch up. I think if you look at some of the brands out there at the moment, um, you know, you take iHeart, for example, they have uh, Triton Omni as a, a platform that they bought, yet some of their podcasts are still hosted on Megaphone and they've owned that property for three or four years now. So actually trying to tie all these things together isn't, it's technically very difficult to do. So whilst others, you know, can buy and start to do the same kind of things, you still need reach and scale. You still need a, um, a place where you are the creator's platform of choice. Um, and that doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. Um, and actually trying to unpick 92,000 podcasts that we host today is, you know, incredibly difficult, if not impossible. Um, so, you know, the larger and larger we grow, the kind of bigger moat you build around your business. Help me think in terms of maybe medium term goals over the next three to five years, what are your goals for ACAS? And what are the primary obstacles that you're going to have to clear in order to reach those goals? I mean, for us, we're clearly focused on, you know, profitability um, in 2024. That's something that we have announced to the market and told investors that is a key focus for us. That, of course, goes hand in hand with making U.S. a success. You know, U.S. is a key focus, which is why I've moved from the U.K. over here to the U.S. as well to, to have kind of full focus on that. And then thirdly, you know, we, we, we need to continue to make ACAST the destination uh, for, you know, podcast monetization and for podcast creators. So, you know, if we get those three right, I think we are set for the future. You know, it's really key in that time as well. You know, we're 400 um, individuals here at ACAST and it's really important we maintain the fantastic culture uh, as a business because culture actually is our number one priority. Um, right. And it's the culture um, uh, of the business that helps us achieve kind of those three objectives. But, you know, we, we're very... Um, uh, lean forward in, in achieving those and believe that, that they're going to happen. What is it about the culture at ACAS that's unique? It's interesting. You know, it's hard to uh, measure culture. Um, I've worked in, you know, a, a few uh, large organizations where culture has changed overnight when you've launched new markets. And I think I've taken the, you know, the the, the painful lessons from many businesses previously and made sure that I have... Um, maintained our kind of core values um, in, in every new market we launch. But what you've got to understand is every new person that joins and every new market you launch, the culture needs to be able to evolve. Um, and so it's, it's incredibly hard to answer that question because um, it's very hard to bottle what our culture is, but we have a fantastic culture. And I think, you know, we had the uh, sad times in September, October, where we had to let go of uh, 68 casters. Um, I think if you just do a search over LinkedIn and see 
what pretty much every single person said as they left the company. They loved the experience. They were very grateful to Acast. And so, you know, we really look after our people and care about people first, family first as a proposition. And then I think the rest will happen. You know, you've got to have a, a great vision for a business. But I think, you, you know, you, you create the right culture internally with the right people and the right hunger. And, you know, you can achieve that. Hmm. Maybe just a final question to wrap this up is, is within the podcast ecosystem that you operate in, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about ACAST or about podcasting more generally? I'll, I'll leave it open and ended for you. I mean, I think for ACAST, you know, one of the big issues actually we've had for a long time is um, that we're an app company. Um, you know, that many investors that we've spoken to, um, uh, investor community have said, um, oh, I've downloaded your app, you know, and it's like, no, 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 we're not an app company. We host and distribute content. Uh, we're like kind of WordPress of, of podcasting. So that's always been a, a problem. And then you, you, you flip to the creator and the same problem. Um, I want to join Acast, but I don't want to distribute just to the Acast app. And it's like, no, 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 we distribute to everywhere. So, you know, being a B2B business has, has had its kind of challenges, that's for sure. But the app has been probably uh, the, the biggest one um, there, if I'm honest. Um, and I, I guess, you know, the, the biggest uh, problem with podcasting as, a, as, a, as a, uh, an industry, I think, is that it just has to evolve from a data layer, you know, like brands like Acast are a, a B2B business. They're not consumer businesses. And, and we exist in a, in a sea of consumer businesses right now. So standout is, is still hard. And we're operating against the likes of Amazon, the likes of iHeart, the likes of Spotify, the likes of Sirius. These aren't tiny companies. You know, they have a lot of resources. But, you know, we've uh, had huge success and just look at what we've done in Europe and the number one position we have in pretty much every single market. You know, we believe we can do that here in the U.S. So, you know, nothing really stands in our way. We're very confident as a as a, uh, a company. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we've got very, very clear vision and clear goals and, and we're going to achieve those. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been this has been great, Ross. Thanks for taking the time. Pleasure, Jake. Thanks, mate. That's it for today's episode of the Quality Investing Podcast. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. And thanks again to Stream by AlphaSense for sponsoring the show.